This is day 228 of our daily Bible reading. Today we will complete two books of the Bible, Titus chapters 1 through 3 and Philemon, which is just one chapter. Lord Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to be in your presence this morning. Your love never ends. Your mercies never cease. Your grace is so abundant in our lives. And so often, Lord, we take that for granted. Lord, help us to see you in a better light today. Not only in who you are, which is the most glorious thing imaginable, but also what our purpose is. Because we tend to get lost in this world, and we need your light and your footsteps in front of us so that you can guide us into all truth. Please bless the reading of your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted, according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely, so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, 
so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. To malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently, so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. When I send Artemis Antichicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs, so that they will not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith.
Grace be with you all. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I do not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be, in effect, by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was, for this reason, separated from you for a while that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers, I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. All right, we knocked out two books of the Bible today. Let's look at the book of Titus. There's a lot in here we need to look at. And let's dive into the truth that's in here. So chapter 1 is his usual greetings. And then it goes straight into business when it comes to how to run a church, as well as the qualifications for elders and for the overseer again. So we saw that in Timothy, but now we're seeing it in Titus, a further expansion, if you will, of the responsibilities and expectations of a pastor. 
or a reverend, or whatever you want to call them. But regardless of the title, it is a very important responsibility. You are the shepherd of an entire flock of people. And so it is most important that the leadership is strong so that the body will be strong. If the leader is weak, then the people will start to splinter off and divide. And we need to make sure that we have God's leader in the seat. And that's why we cannot judge according to the flesh. That's why we need to judge according to God's standards. Does he meet at least the basic qualifications as outlined in the New Testament? And if he does, then he should be at least granted an interview and consideration at that point. And then you narrow it down from there. God's qualifications trump yours by far. So make sure that we are doing that when we look for leadership in a church, even deacons, even elders, things like that. Then he talks about in the second half of chapter 1, people who are offensive in the church. Now these are people who are not just outsiders coming into the church. These are people who claim to be Christians that do not act like Christians or are causing divisions or strife. Those kinds of people need to be handled. So in this case, what they're dealing with in Titus's time is a bunch of empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, meaning they were Jewish at one point. And even though they accepted Christ, they intermixed the aspects of Christ with the aspects of old Judaism, as well as tradition, as well as superstition, and all this other garbage that doesn't belong. And if we intermix worldly things with the gospel of Christ, it's not the gospel anymore. We need to make sure that we are not in conflict with ourselves through what we understand and what we believe. These people can be dangerous, especially in verse 16 where it says, They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed meaning that they are not approved. They are unfit for duty, so to speak. How can you, as a soldier, be fit for duty if you have allegiance to the enemy, or you don't want to train, or you have no care for being in the military at all? You see what I mean? If you were to put the church in military terms, it makes a little bit more sense. We have to make sure that the soldiers that are within the church are fit for duty, and they are training, constantly training to be better and ready for war. Because the war is around us all the time, and we need to be ready to fight. Now in chapter 2, it shows us that Titus is a leader who's going around and not only maybe starting churches, but also making sure that they are staffed properly. They have overseers, they have deacons, they have elders, so on and so forth, and making sure that they're conducting themselves in an orderly fashion. So when he speaks to these groups, like he says in verse 1, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. And then it describes what it looks like for old men to act like, for old women to act like, for young men and women to act like, and also the relationship between slaves and freemen. 
So all of this is in accordance with God's will, as well as what the Bible has always talked about in how we conduct ourselves. Now, the second half of the chapter is how we are under God's grace constantly. We cannot survive without it, and everything that we have and have been able to do up until now is by God's favor. Your salvation is through the grace of God. The mercy and compassion he constantly has on you is through the grace of God. So why don't we live like we are under God's grace? So he gives us some responsibilities and some expectations from the Lord that directly apply to us. So what God has instructed us to do, like we see in verse 12, is to deny ungodliness, not to accommodate it, not to negotiate with it, not to compromise with it, but to deny it, completely separate ourselves from that stuff, from ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Why? And what is our motivation? Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus is coming soon, and we know where we're going. That is our motivation. We have that hope, which is sure and steadfast. The world doesn't have it, but we do. And we need to make sure that we remember that we have hope and we have a purpose and not let ourselves get carried away by the sea of the world. Christ died for you. He gave himself up so that he could purify you and make you a people for his own possession. You are in his family. He died for you. And he saved you because he wants you as part of the family. What an honor. What a glorious honor. Why can't we live like that? Why can't we live like we do here at the end of verse 14? Being zealous for good things. Zealous for good deeds. Zealous for God's house. Zealous for the word of God being spread. Imagine if today's church was full of zeal, like it's supposed to be. We would be unstoppable. Think about what's going on in Kentucky, at that university, if you recall, where there's a huge revival going on. People from all over the world were flocking over to it. God was at work there. That is what zeal looks like. Imagine what it would look like in your own church. It needs to start with you, and then, by God's grace, it will spread to others. Chapter 3 begins with reminding us that we are to be subject to our governing authorities, to our president, to our government, to our boss at work, to our pastor, to our spouse, all of these authority figures that are in our lives. We are to be subject to them. We are to be obedient to them to a point. If they begin to disagree with the Word of God, or they are in direct conflict and opposition to it, obviously we do not obey it, but otherwise we are to live peacefully with all men. Then he gives us qualities that define a proper Christian. Because if we recognize that we were once a lost person, we can't forget that. That old life is behind us, yes, 
but it's very humbling to remember our roots. And it helps keep us grounded. It really does. Because so often, as Christians, if we forget where we came from, we tend to get an air of arrogance about us. Well, I'm saved and you're not. I'm righteous and you're not. You don't want to go there because that is not a godly attribute. You were just as lost as the rest of them. And the only reason that you are here today in God's favor is because he gave you favor. You did nothing to earn this. So why do you act like some entitled brat when you did nothing to contribute to your own salvation? Don't forget where you came from. You cannot forget that because it changes the way you look at things and it helps prevent you from being proud. We were once foolish ourselves and all these different things that define that life. Spending our life in malice and envy, just hating everybody and being so lost. But praise God for verse 4. When the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds, right? It's not anything I did. Nothing that I did in righteousness. But according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. That process of making you into a new creature. He gave us the Spirit so richly through Jesus Christ. We so much take this for granted. We so often underappreciate this aspect of our salvation. We need to remember our humble beginnings and what lengths God went to to save us, but also just how different we are from how we used to be. This will really help your outlook overall, as well as keep you grounded in reality. That you didn't save yourself, so don't be proud and arrogant about it. The second half of chapter 3 is in regard to watching out for false teachers, which is always going to be a problem. They are everywhere. Avoid those things because they are ridiculous and they are a distraction. And then it says to reject a factious man, one that's trying to cause factions, after a first and second warning. So three strikes and you're out, basically. So if that person refuses to stop after three times, then they are removed from the church. That's how serious we need to take this. We need to cut the cancer out of churches if there are any. Then he gives his final farewells and his personal greetings. And he reminds us here that our people, being Christians, must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs. So not only do good things for people, but also to meet needs. Because there are people who are constantly in need. Either they have health issues, they have financial issues, they've got emotional issues, mental issues. We have to take care of these people because they need it. Some people are not even aware of their situation. And those that are, some of them are too scared to ask for help. So if we see a need, we need to meet it. If God puts it on your heart to help somebody, do not deny it. Do not resist it. Go ahead and help and be generous about it. God will bless it. And that completes the book of Titus. Philemon is a very short 
book. It's only one chapter long. And what this is overall about is Philemon is not only a Christian like Paul, he's a friend of Paul's, but he's also a master. And he has a slave that became a Christian during his time with Paul. His name is Onesimus. And so Paul sent this letter to Philemon in order to fight for Onesimus. Because he is his slave, he needs to return to his master. He needs to serve his master. But what Paul is asking is to release him from being a slave altogether, if possible. Philemon, you are my brother in Christ, and now Onesimus, your slave, is a brother in Christ. In the eyes of God, you guys are equal. So why don't you release him so that he can serve me and be able to help me in my ministry as well as the furtherance of the gospel? So that is the overarching theme of the book of Philemon. It's very short, but he gets to the point where he's like, look, I'm an apostle. I could command you to do this, but I don't want you to do it because I'm making you. I want you to do it because you want to. And if we are aligned in God, then you will want to. And if he says, if he's wronged you in any way or he owes you any money, charge it to me. Because don't forget, in reality, if you want to look at it like that, Philemon, you owe me because I'm the one that showed Christ to you. You owe to me even your own self as well. But he finishes with saying that he has confidence in his obedience. He can tell what kind of a person Philemon is and that he'll be good for it. So he's confident in that he's going to make the right decision. Then he concludes with his usual farewells, and that's overall the book of Philemon. Now tomorrow, we'll go ahead and begin the book of Hebrews. It's going to take us about three days to get through it, but it is an amazing book. There is so much in here. It's very complicated, some of it. Some of it is very theologically deep. So we'll do our best to go through it as much as we can, but there is a lot in there. This is worth studying in depth for a long time. So as you can tell, I'm excited to get to the book of Hebrews. And for now, that's all that I have. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.